Welcome back to the Turn Row Podcast, everybody. I am your host, Ethan, and with me is Kevin, as always. How's Maybe. it going, everybody? And we are back. We're back in the saddle again. We had a brief hiatus, also known as we got extremely busy and uh, <clears throat> neglected our fun job. And was Yeah, it's been, been crazy. It has been a summer, and I don't know why, but it, it's been tough. <clears throat> I blame uh, global warming, <laughs> Al Gore, um, uh, the, the invention of the internal combustion engine, <laughs> bush light, <laughs> bush, bush latte. Yeah, uh, you know, I've never had a bush latte. I don't know if this is appropriate for a crop question. <laughs> Who cares? I've never had a bush latte. Really? Yeah. It's not, not exactly popular in the South. <laughs> well, you know, truthfully, I think the uh, marketing a couple years ago was pretty ingenious because they marketed it, you know, uh, had the corn cob on the can. And I know there was a lot of people that bought that just because they thought they were, or wanted to support ag or, you know, the corn. <clears throat> yeah. So what I heard, I have no idea if this is true, but this is a, a cool, I guess, ag tidbit maybe is Bud Light and Bush Light have the same recipe. Except bush light, they replace. They use corn, and bud light, they use rice. Hmm. I have I, no idea if that's true or not. Yeah, but I've heard the same thing about um, bud light, but I did not know. I don't know much about the bush light. Yeah, I do know bud light is made mostly out of rice. Yep, yep, I knew that, and I, I, I'd heard that's why some people have adverse effects, like headache or whatever. You know, I make a funny face when I taste it. Anyway, we digress. Not a beer podcast. No, this is not. This, we are not. We are not beer connoisseurs, although we attempt to be sometimes. So I don't know. We're probably connoisseurs, but anyway. <laughs> so uh, since we've been away, we would thought we would uh, have us an update. Talk a little bit about uh, the where we stand on crops in South Texas, Kansas, and and some other places. So. Um, yeah, just kind of get back in the swing of things and give an update and, and uh, talk a little bit about what needs to be happening in the next coming weeks and months and, and prep for uh, next year. So, Kevin? You, you want me to start? Sure, go ahead. Why not? Or fire off a question. Um, so, where is uh, where do you all stand on, on your corn? Where are you at? So, um, it kind of depends on where you're at. The the rain all year in Kansas, and I might even venture further beyond the Kansas borders, <clears throat> has been very sporadic. Either you're in it or you're not. And um, I have a customer that has a, a plane and flew across the state, and he said you can you can just you can see it. You can see areas that are really good, and then all of a sudden they uh, they just go where things don't look so good and we're looking stressed a few weeks ago, but um, some of our earlier planted stuff seems to on corn fare a little bit better, but um, I tell you what, I have never seen corn crash so hard, meaning we have eighth to a quarter milk line corn that looks like it's two-thirds milk line. Ears tipped down, husk dry, 
starting to turn and you're just thinking, oh, what is going on? Like you're almost lost because you show up and like, wow, is this even the same field? It was green last week. You see what had happened, whoa. But out here, we've we've been – so if you go back, we, we did a – like we did a podcast earlier, but we had stress conditions early up until 8-leaf. Then we got really cool and favorable. And then right after that, we hit blast furnace heat, and that has just dynamically changed everything. Like it, it it's just – interesting so we'll see a little bit of dryland corn being cut here i know eastern part of the state uh like really eastern they're touch and go with uh wet corn around the wichita area i know they're cutting really hard on dryland and stuff um and i know around here it's just stuff that's fell apart like dryland that didn't make it and such like that but um We'll see here in a couple of weeks. We will probably be starting harvest as fast as things are moving. So, but I, you know, I think beans and beans have been handling stress. Cotton has looks pretty good driving by. I don't, I don't check any of it, but it, it looks pretty good, pretty short. I mean, but we haven't had any rain. So, you don't need tall cotton to have good cotton. I know that's so. what the expert says, folks. I don't like talking. <laughs> but anyway, it's just been challenging. You know, um, we couldn't kill weeds late because we got rain. And so uh, I guess going into wheat preparation, we have a sack of powder. Probably, you know, where we had to work, we had to work, we had to work. And there's places that have six inches of powder before you can get into moisture. And so our challenge here is to try and get a rain so we can meet up some moisture to get weed up and not very many people have planted out here in, in, in my corner of the state where we haven't got a rain. So is it early to be planting your, your, uh, winter wheat or is that about on time? Uh, I would say it's about on time. We have in the past, there's been some large producers that have gone as early as August and 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 Ethan, it depends on if you if you have a grazing opportunity or if that's what you're planning it for. Then you're gonna. I mean, we're a third of the way through September, so how early or how late or early really are we? You know. Yeah, true. And so. I would say we're probably right in the the sweet spot of when we normally plant. But there's not like we plan to clear to late October, early November too. Yeah. Just depends on conditions like everything else a year ago everybody planted um early and then we got this very robust plant with a lot of tillers and then we lost all the tillers and it almost died <laughs> and so that made people a little gun shot and do it again just because we know we we know there's not like we've been to a few seed meetings and and listening to long range forecasts and stuff and for our part of the world is just not favorable for moisture. Yeah. Like we're just, we're in this dry spell. I, I don't know about you guys, but we're just going to be dry for a while. Yeah. We, we, I would say we were in a drought with intermittent uh, months that would simulate a rainforest. So. Did you guys get anything sidebar out of the hurricane? 
no any spinoff out of that at all nothing i know it was east you know further east but i didn't know it went to new york it was a bit further east well (laughs) geography is a little off yeah the the remnants of uh of ida flooded the new york subway system Hmm. yeah yeah that was i don't know if you saw those videos it was terrifying water boiling you know like people were in the subway system and it was running down the like boiling out of the like storm drains and stuff in the subway. I'm like, why are you standing there? You need to leave. Yeah. Don't be underground. That's terrible. But yeah. So our weather pattern, you know, um, has been off. We went into the winter extremely dry. We had the, the snow apocalypse on Valentine's day. Um, you know, where it was, we got six inches of snow on Valentine's day morning um, it all melted off. Then we got six more inches a couple days later. Really didn't get above freezing at all that week. Um, it, man, it may have gotten to the high 30s. And then uh, continue to stay dry. Um, on April 28th, we got you know uh, some of the largest hail um, in in Texas history. They called it Gorilla Hill. I think the largest hailstone was nine inches. And uh, our spare truck looks like it got hit by a bowling ball. Like on the roof. I just figured that. Yeah, you're the one who found it, actually. You you were here for that. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. and uh, Seriously, a a Kansas or Oklahoma nasty hailstorm. Yeah, it was was huge. And there's pockets that just massive, absolutely massive hailstones. Um. There was uh, one of the, the the next to a farm of, of ours that we work with. There's a there's a ranch, and the ranch hand lives out there, and he had softball size hell for 15 minutes, and he had, he had crawled underneath his bed because his house was starting. And like, Your house is not going to sustain. That's you know? all you can do. Yeah, well, I mean, and he's a ranch hand. It's it's the bunkhouse. It's not. Yeah. You know, it's, it's probably not the built <laughs> the best. You know, so. Uh, yeah, is he thought we thought it was going to come down on him. So, um, and then uh, May was exceptionally wet and cool. We had three weeks of ex- of normal, really hot weather in June, July. I went, uh, was exceptionally cool and wet. I mean, July we never broke a hundred. See, and I was I would say we almost mirrored you guys as well. You know, yeah. like it was super ideal for crops in that July period. Yeah. Which for us was terrible because we were trying to plant peanuts yeah. and grow cotton and we are cotton. I still have not defoliated a single, uh, well, me personally, some of the guys down here have, but we should have a third of our cotton acres picked. I have, I've just started cutting water off. So it delayed you substantially a month between May and June or May and July. Yeah. We're, we're back a month. Two weeks to two between two and four weeks, depending on plant date and variety, but we're way behind big time. So that, that, and, and peanut wise, you know, you just, you don't like to, uh, you don't like those. Once you get to, you know, past the 4th of July, your yields are going to start going down as far as As plant dates. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you're you're talking a December harvest. When you when you get to like the eighth to tenth of July, you're going to be harvesting on Christmas Day. 
So that seems like it would be challenging to get enough heat to finish it. It's rough. Or just get them dry. You yeah. know, once you dig them and, and, and invert them and trying to get them dry is is a challenge when it's that late in the year. Can they can they dry them? Like, can you haul them and then can they put them in, you know, like corn or other commodities, you know, they put them in a dryer. Can they do that? There is a sort of. Okay. But that not, not necessarily, not in the traditional sense that you're used to. No. Okay. Okay. You're not going to, you're not able to really dry them as much. Yeah. Well, because. Yeah, well, part of it too, if they're too wet, they're not going to harvest very well. Gotcha. Gotcha. <clears throat> they're going to stay on the vine a little too much. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. So, yep. Um, our uh, spring corn, even spring corn harvest, what should have been right in the middle of uh, all that July rain, and it took, it was uh, every bit of like the 15th of August before all of our spring corn was out. So do you think that with the cooler weather to finish on, it helped you guys for higher yields? Um we had a lot of disease problems late. Oh. So late enough where folks probably should have spent money, but didn't want to. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That was fun. We had, uh, you know, because of the hell we had more fall corn than normal mm-hmm. and it just hasn't ever stopped. Yeah. But you know, I would, I think that it's, countrywide or whatever i'd almost venture to say this it's just been crazy and nuts for everybody you know oh yeah yeah it's slowed down for anybody it's just we started to plant spring wheat the 23rd of december of 2020 and we probably have not stopped we have not i mean i guess when we had snow for a week we didn't work but yeah it has been i I look back at uh, is, is you're giving the month by month you know, our even our wheat harvest here in Kansas, it was like it rained every day. We had so much humidity in July that it, it took our harvest and stretched it out for a month when, in some cases, it should have been only a week. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you could just blow through it, like. Yeah. And, and so it's just, and then, then because of that, like you had all this, it just, just compiles. Yeah, and see, like all of our peanuts are coming going behind a crop, whether it's sweet corn, green beans, bulk of the acres are going to be behind a small grain. When that gets pushed back, now you have to get the ground ready to plant peanuts. Whether you're strip tilling, yeah, you're going to switch plow, however you're going to prep. There's some type of prep done, and um, you got to go through all that and then plant peanuts again. So yeah, you know that delayed peanut planting even more yeah and this is what was real fun so um our peanut growers that uh we have some that strip till some that no-till some that switch plow i mean literally the gamut from a mold board plow to no plow we have we have all of them so um typically our folks that will mold bore or switch plow um what's a switch plow you know, it switches when you go back. That's why it's called switch plow. Uh, okay. I'm just making sure <laughs> so, hey. for everybody listening that we understand what you're talking I, about. It's a mold board. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's a, it's a mold board. It flips so you can go back yeah. and forth. Okay. Yeah. So when you get to the end of the field, you switch it. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's South Texas logic for you. So <laughs> <clears throat> even I, even you, ha- I can't, I can't defend myself on that one. <laughs> um, 
so going in so dry to our early planted peanuts, because some there are a few peanut acres that will not have necessarily a, a crop ahead of it. It'll, it'll just have been grazed through the winter. And typically by then, those are some of our first fields. And you get a flush of uh, yellow and purple nut sedge. So you're able to um, to mold bore that and kind of rip out and kill that first flush of nut sedge. Well, there was no moisture. And cows had not been on those acres for months. Yeah. So the first moisture that saw that that acre saw was when we were watering the peanuts to come up and we got all the nut sedge, all of it. It's like we got four flushes of it at once. It was miserable. Yeah, that that's not doesn't sound fun at all. It looked like a sod farm. Yeah. It, it literally looked like our peanuts were planted in the middle of a St. Augustine like sod yeah. uh, pivot. It was terrible. So, um, yeah, this year we have really went to war this year with weeds because of the lack of moisture going in, um, then excess moisture and then lack and then excess. It's just, you know, from one thing to the other disease and, uh, weeds have been, as soon as you kind of get them whooped, the weather changes again and you get, you have another set of issues. I would say even here we're the same. I think I've seen as much or typically in Western Kansas, we don't have to spray a whole lot of fungicides, especially in the, I'm, I'm talking about the bottom four counties where I work, but this year has provided us with a disease environment because of the weather. Yeah. We have Southern rust blowing up late gray leaf spot, you know, uh, a lot of ear molds and stuff starting to show up like a lot of weird stuff because of stress. Stock rot. I don't know. Do you know how many Afligard issues? I mean, just aflatoxins in general. Yeah, or I'm sorry, Afligard. Uh, that was that was me. Yeah. So, so Afligard is the product that we put out on our food grade corn to prevent <laughs> aflatoxins. So sorry. You're welcome, Sinjana. You just in, got a free plug. In in some cases, yes. But it seems to us that we have that we have to have the environment for it to show up. Yeah. And, and it it's. I'm trying to, I think, I'm pretty sure it's the kind of the late hard finish. And I, I think that we, we have um, potential to see a lot of it, but truthfully, a couple of years ago, you know, they were dinging people really hard at the elevator and there was a lot of uh, concern about it, you know, concern going into seaboard for pigs and, concern with the dairies and such and once they got their um their measurement i guess and everything figured out it hasn't been near as bad you don't hear of loads getting rejected and stuff like that so it's hard for me to say like i know we have it and i've seen it this year but like i don't know i don't think it's gonna be a widespread thing yeah or, or enough to bothersome that loads and stuff are going to get rejected or whatever at this point. So good. That that's never a fun endeavor to deal with. No. And it was, it was bad and it was so inconsistent where a guy would show up and get rejected. He just go pull it to the farm, park the truck, 
and then go back the next day and then it would be oh yeah you're fine <laughs> how is that possible <laughs> I, i've heard of guys just going to the farm and switching trailers and going back and yeah but anyway, after they got their process figured out, I don't. I think that there was a lot of inconsistencies on how they were doing it. They figured it like a system, and uh, yes, we have it, but it hasn't seemed to be a problem. And whether or not they know where and where not to ship it to, you know, because all of ours go into the feed yards or feed lots, and it's not going into food grade or, I guess it, a lot of it goes into pigs, but. Seaboard's very particular, though. Really? Uh, for instance, I believe that you pull onto the scale and they test per field. So, like, if you get cleared, let's say they check two semis or whatever for uh, a field, then you'll be okay. But as soon as you switch fields, the process starts all over again, and it's pretty painful. Slow. That's when you ask them, what is the definition of a field? Because this, this full section could be considered a field, but it has four. Well, okay. I will say when you go in there and you tell them a name or a legal, that would be a field. So, like out here where, you know, we, we give the legal description. So, okay. you know, it's okay. This is two, two, three. And if you don't, you don't have like, so, so that, that's a good topic that there was between uh, Southwest Kansas and South Texas. So typically how our fields are named or by, I guess, what you would call the historical owner's last name. Okay. So it may be two or three owners ago. Um, and then, the, then it will have a number associated with it. And it's typically the order of the pivots of how they're put up. But would you agree that somewhere you could find a legal description? Because I think you have to That have would be a lot easier. I thought, I think, well, anyway, I thought you'd have to have that for like government paperwork or. Oh, paperwork. they do. They, they have to have that for FSA and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But like vernacular, like what you would tell when you call an airplane or, you know, yeah. Yeah. you know, so. Well, in different parts of the world are the same way. I'd say we're just weird because um, we're square. Everything around here is squared off. And so it's easy to say, okay, this is the Northwest of one, go over here. But yeah. you, you go to other parts of the world or even the other parts of the state. And, oh yeah, this is, this is uh, grandma's, you know yeah. what I mean? Like this is Harry's, this is, you know what I mean? That's, that's just <laughs> the name of the field. Yeah. So. Yep. So, yeah, that's, uh, it's fun. It, it's yeah, it, well, I have a one customer too that the numbers don't match in order, but he's like, so he named because not, I mean, very re not that long ago, a lot of this stuff was hand lines, and especially in the peanut country. Can you say? Can you just like define that? Um, so like in the the peanuts, it wasn't necessarily like furrow irrigated, but it was they would lay pipe out that had sprinklers attached to it. Okay. Okay. Yep. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. I just we needed to define that. Okay. Okay. So that uh, the peanut areas, that's how it was irrigated until I mean, you know, I have a customer in his forties and when he first started farming, it was he still he had one pivot and it was yeah. the rest of it was hand lines. Cool. So like all the farms have a name, which was the previous owner than him or maybe two ago, but the numbers don't make no sense because he numbered them 
in order of he put them up. So like 13 maybe next to eight and seven. <laughs> and right. You know, like 16 is next to like one and five. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense, but you you have to like know the story for it. To it's almost the language, you know, you got to learn it. We don't speak English. <laughs> and we don't speak Spanish either. <laughs> It's a series of grunts and point pointing at things and oh, throwing things at each other. You went caveman. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. It is remote. Yes. Yeah. So um, um, let's talk uh, a little bit about sugarcane aphids and stuff because I know that that's gonna that's starting to we're starting to see some here. But let's hear your perspective and then maybe I'll go. Well, so. Excuse me. Had a little bit on there. Um, so I guess we're so used to them. We have kind of dialed in our timings and we know we're going to use them. Uh, yeah. Are going to have to use products to, to fix that. Then we build it in the budget. You know, we build a, uh, um, a an actual aphid spray. One, I don't know if we want to actually name products here, but we know the two main products, the neonicotinoids that you will put in season and then typically we also will round up our wheat or uh, Milo before okay. we uh, go in, before we harvest. Yeah. Um, and we'll put something with that, like a pyrethroid or something, something similar to that. And that helps a lot too. Did you, would you say that <clears throat> this year has been any worse than previous? As far pretty as normal. Yeah. Nothing. Or headworm pressure for that matter. Um, I, it's, Nothing, it, it, nothing over the top. Do you guys have to spray twice for aphids, or just do you do it once? Um, if you can get your timing right, you only have to do it. Well, that's hard to say. So you, <clears throat> one of like the Savanto Transform kind of products, once yes, but you're probably going to put something in with your Roundup because they've built back to some level pre-harvest. Yeah. Okay. So, and if you if you round up Milo, and don't put something with it, and you have aphids, they are going to move to the heads. Yes, that is a very good good disclaimer. The, yes, so because <laughs> yeah, they're going to go to the next greenness part or yes. part of the plant. You know, if you're killing it, because out here right now, for us, like I told told you our conditions have been really stressful. So our Milo has turned so fast. I, I, I can't say or recall that I've ever seen it turn so quick. And the lower half of a lot of leaves are already yellow. And so like we have hit and miss fields that are getting aphids, but they're not really bad, but it's because I, it's stressed and then the leaves are turning and it's not ideal for a piercing sucking insect that wants chlorophyll to, to, to uh, I got, gonna, I got dust, the head. dust out of this one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah gross. There's no but, glory. They're probably going to move the heads if you're starting to fire leaves like yeah, that. Yeah. But I, they're just not here. And, and I guess I forgot to mention before because we had, our corn at eight leaf and the heat we had, I have never seen spider mite pressure so bad. Meaning we were losing 40 rows 
we were losing 20 acres to spider mites when the corn was three leaf. Like just one week it was fine, the next week, dead plants. Combination of stress from weather and spider mites just gave up, done. And I think that because of all that, we had such a beneficial pressure buildup that has stayed with us that we can handle these very light to scattered populations. In the yeah, that makes sense. Your, so your beneficial yeah, is not populated because they had plenty of food. Yeah, and, and with aphids, with the sugarcane aphids, you know, if you have it moderate to heavy or even light, you know, the beneficials aren't going to be enough to clean it up. But I think that they've been chipping away at it. So, yeah. but it'll be interesting. Uh, I don't know. Our head size looks good in Milo so far. It's turned. I've seen a few combines rolling, but um, it's just turned so much. I wonder, or so fast. I wonder if it's going to be light. It very well could be. It may be. It may be light, but we don't. We we get into certain areas or certain guys that like to pull the the uh, glyphosate stunt, you know, uh, to to help harvest quickly. Or that, is stunt. that is a necessity, Kevin. Yeah. You watch your mouth. <laughs> well, I mean, we get this magical thing in Kansas we call a frost. <laughs> oh, well, apparently we do too when this happens in February. But anyway, so I, it'll be interesting. There, there's been pockets I know in the state where they've um, had to spray. We have some forage sorghum. I know I had a field I already had to spray. So that they are here, but it, it seems to be inconsistent. But and he, even to our our division in in CropQuest that's between us, I think that they've been inconsistent too. You know, spray here, not there. So yeah, and our environment is just so conducive that I guess we've been conditioned that all right, they're here. I'm not going to go anywhere. Yeah. It's also, too, you got to think, our Milo has been harvested. Milo harvest and corn harvest, our spring corn harvest kind of run hand in hand. They're kind of, it's not really any later. How are the yields then? Milo yields are good. Really good. Yeah. Good, good, good. Yep. Well, I mean, good for us. They were between 6,500 pounds and 9,500 pounds. We speak pounds like normal people. <laughs> I don't know if I call that normal or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, let's see. So like 170 to bushel Milo. Is that how that's, that's not bad. That's not yeah. bad at all. For, for yeah. oh, our high end is like 170, 180. And our low ends were about 120. So I'd say that's pretty darn good Milo. Yeah. And we had some folks walk away from corn and plant a lot of Milo. Well, the price and dictated that. You know what I mean? The price was good. Um, even, even you know, building a uh, an aphid shot in your budget still made sense. Yeah. So much cheaper to plant. Um, the only caveat is the folks that don't account for the extra herbicide, you know, that that's the part that kill, 
it's not like it used to be where Milo, you just, oh, we're just scatter the seed. It'll grow. You don't have to spray anything. It'll be weedy. It'll be okay. But anymore, it's, if you don't have your corn herbicide program, your Milo's not going to make much. Yeah, exactly. And we, um, this is going to sound kind of, I don't know if I should even let this cat out of the bag. Um, we put the same fertilizer blend on corn and Milo. Why did you say that? Is this, that's a, that's a trade secret. No, but that, if I say that, if you're going to push to try to hit that 10,000 pound mark, yeah, um, yeah. or the, like, we treat it a lot like corn. I mean, we really do. Well, you have to though. I mean, if you really want to crank it out like that, I, I, I just think that in some cases, Milo has just been a rotational crop or a stepchild crop that, eh, it, you know, we, we fertilize it, but I wouldn't say we ever just like around here. It's not, that's not something we're going to push. Yes. We push wheat maybe or, or beans or corn or trit, but Milo, not so much. Yeah. And a lot of guys don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, you, you definitely have that conversation going into the field. Of, is this going to be Milo or are we going to, are we going to swing for the fences? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, and if we well, choose, yeah. you know, if you're going to swing for the fence, you might, you have to. Yeah. So, um, you know, and you also have guys that may put three inches of water on it and kind of like if they're shelling well, sharing well space with a peanut field or something, um, and just hope for get some rain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, kind of water it up, get it going, set the herbicide, and then you just kind of let go and let God. And if it gets some rain, if you can spare some time on the well, uh, to get off of peanuts or something, you know, then you get, then it gets some more moisture, but if not, and you may make 3000 pounds, but at, for what you have in it at that point, it's not that it's fine. You know, so did you guys, just plowing your ground all summer. So. Did you guys spray headworm? Did I already ask that? Did you have, we did. Spray? Yeah. You know, honestly, we had a lot of worm pressure early, which is kind of weird. I remember you said that when we visited on the phone, but yeah. huh, it's interesting. Because here we've been so hot that I would say the eggs, I don't think the eggs were as viable. Like we've almost had the lowest headworm pressure that since I've been doing this out here. And even uh, some of our older guys have said the same thing. Yeah. But they are in corn, you know what I mean? And I know that they are in some late stuff, but. Yeah. But So the, the new addition to South Texas has been soybeans. You keep saying soybeans and I. I, oh yeah, yeah. How did they, those fields do? They, they made they looked at about fifty bushels. That's not bad. No, it's respectable. No, I mean that's and people used to call them poverty peas down here because <laughs> our pHs are so high they would just die. Yeah, you know, and so so given that it made fifty, do you think that this is a stunt you're going to do again? Oh yeah. Well, we, we learned a lot. So the thing, like no matter what the crop it is, uh, you know, we're, we have, you got to find out how to farm it here. And I think that's not a South tech. I think it's, that's true. No matter where you're at, if you're in Montana, Louisiana, yeah. you got to take the information, like, especially with peanut or uh, with soybeans and corn, obviously a lot of that information is geared towards the, the, the corn belt. You know, like that's where the focus of the research is done. Um, you have to take that with a grain of salt and figure out how to do it locally. 
Um, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, of breeding research done for soybeans in South Texas. It's just, yeah. there's not a lot of focus there. So, yeah. um, you have to go in either as a grower, as a consultant, retailer, whatever, with the mindset of we may screw up here. Right. <laughs> you know, like we've got to figure out how to make this adapt to our geography. And we learned a lot. And if we can make 50 bushels with on our year, we're trying to learn then, you know, very encouraged by that. For sure. Well, and it gives you another uh, rotational crop in your arsenal too. You know, I mean, that's, that's why, I mean, out here, a lot of people, if they could, they would. Yeah. Well, basically it creates a peanut, a peanut for the uh, heavy, heavier soil type. Yep. Yep. You know, gets a legume on there. Um, our, our souls naturally need legumes, you know, I mean, this, they do well once you get those on the rotation. Um, so that that's encouraging. So I, now next year, are we going to know absolutely everything to do? No, but we, we did a lot of experimentation, how to water, when to water. Well, and when maybe, to fun, fun maybe for our listeners too. I mean, it was as bad as like the varieties, you know, nobody really wanted to <laughs> tell you anything or give you anything yeah. on a variety aspect of it, like, or maturity aspect, <laughs> like you were completely blindly shooting in the dark. Yeah. There's, yeah. We really don't even know what group number they are. They told us they're indeterminate. It's like, well, that's not a group number. Like, we're pre planning. Beans, <laughs> you know, like to <laughs> yeah. yeah. so even at one point we weren't real sure if they were even Roundup ready. So <laughs> that's awful. That yeah. is dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> I too like to live dangerously. <laughs> I tell you what, I did though. I built a herbicide program because uh, we weren't exactly sure if if they were Roundup ready at first. We kind of thought they were, so right. I built a program and treated them as if they weren't. And uh, we did find out later they were, and we kind of did a shot kind of on the tail end of the label, uh, and it was fine. But we went in kind of loaded for bear, like, okay, we don't know for a fact, so we're going to treat these as they're conventional. You have to. Yeah. If you don't know, you have to treat it that way. Yeah. The only thing that's troublesome to me about soybeans down here is our herbicides are very similar. Our herbicide options are very similar to peanuts. And I just – I don't, I'm afraid that I'm going to start breaking chemistries. That's tough. You know, so yeah. we're going to have to, we're going to, that's then if they continue to stick around for the, you know, for a while, that's going to be the, the next challenge is just getting some fresh product because there with peanuts, there are no more options. We've got what we've got. Um, they're going to have to make something new uh, with soybeans. It, at least there are more options. But kind of the, you, you kind of paint yourself in a corner down here where guys don't want to, you know, the, the retailers don't want to bring in a bunch of soybean specific for products sure. for, sure. you know, for 500 acres in the county, you know, yes. so yeah. like, like you just got to work with what you got. Yeah. So if that, those acres expand and it's here to stay, then obviously we can start playing around with more herbicides. For sure. Then that's what we're going to have to do. But for sure. That or we will have weedy peanuts and soybeans. Yeah. No so. bueno. 
No good. Nope. That was the first time you translate an actual second language. <laughs> well, that's pretty easy. Yeah, I knew that one. <laughs> no. <laughs> you get a, yeah. Anyway, you get an ear for it when you're around a lot of it. So when you're around these parts. Well, I guess high school foreign language helped too. So I chose the wrong one in high school. That was a terrible life decision. Well, you live and learn, man. Yeah. All uh, sorts of stuff now on the interwebs. You can go learn all sorts of languages for a low, low cost of free. Yeah. <laughs> if you wish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, well, um, update-wise, that is about what's going on here. Sporadic weather for the year. Everything. This chaotic. Lots yeah, of new stuff. It's going to be interesting looking forward um, where we've had different uh, stresses and, and, and different moisture or lack of moisture in spots, like how, how we start the next year. That, that's going to be the challenging piece. You know, we're, we're so busy and things are so dire in places. It would just be interesting to see what, what perspires for next year. Hopefully, you know, hopefully, like we can get some some snow or some winter moisture to kind of. I'm good. I'm good on the snow. I'm, I'm, I'm good. How about this? You give us the snow, and I will trade you thirty below. That's because <laughs> that's what happened when you got the snow. We we were thirty below here, so. Yeah. Yeah. That's when, what, what's the, the joke? I forget which stand up comedian walks outside and it's, it's negative two. And this, his buddy says, what, What's the temperature? There's not one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're void of temperature. Sure. Yeah. Good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, maybe the cleanest joke I've ever said in my life. Well, but, that's good. That's, you, yeah. you gotta start. You gotta start. <laughs> yeah, it starts turning leaf. But uh, you know, and that's going to the next season. You know, t- typical steps: get the crop out, start soil sampling, building the plan. Um, yep, that's the next steps. You know, so you know, just you, you know, just start preparing, getting ready for the chaos of of uh, twenty twenty two. You know, since I feel like since 2018, we've hoped that that was our last year of crazy and the knob. Yeah. Well, and what Keeps you, turning. you you have, you don't have 40 years of experience in agriculture. You have one years of experience 40 times. 40 times. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, we can, we can wish for this uh, perfect world or perfect situations where you figure it all out, but you know what? We'd be bored. Yeah, you remember telling one time, I was like, when you figure it all out, then that you die. It's just, yeah, like it's it's, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> like you have reached the end of your life. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so yeah, um, you know, if, I guess we need to somehow talk to Saudi Arabia, or, or is that where it was where they were doing the rain seeding with uh, drones? Did yeah, they that? they used to do that out here. They used to cloud seed to reduce hail but people claimed the seeding produced more hail and so they quit doing it it was expensive and i don't know those guys are pretty ridiculous because 
I don't know if you've ever like seen it or watched it. I'm trying to remember. There's a movie where you kind of see it, I think. But anyway, where they take their plane and they go right into the right into the clouds and the thunderheads to to you know to spray this stuff. It's pretty wild. I, I uh, pretty wild. Yeah, that's what in uh, I think it was Saudi Arabia. I could be completely wrong. It was somewhere in the Middle East, like a month ago. They were doing it with drones. Really? Yeah. But how can you get a drone that high? You know, like I, when I'm saying when I'm talking about cloud seeding, I mean they're thousands of feet in the air, and when a drone, in theory, you can't be up over three hundred. Well, it's Saudi Arabia, <laughs> so I doubt. They, they probably have some kind of different guidelines on yeah. on height. Anyway. And, and not only that, there's two other things. It's the middle of the desert, so they probably are happy about some kind of rain. Yes, yes. Two, they have vending machines, or they have ATMs that don't produce cash that give you gold bars. They have plenty of money in that country. So I think that's fictitious, but... What's that, the ATM with gold bars? Yeah. You know, I, I I would never have enough money to make a withdrawal, so I, I can't call their bluff. Yeah. <laughs> right. But uh, all those three factors, you know, desert, lots of money, uh, you know, I feel like just the desert thing would give them a uh, uh, some type of uh, temporary permit to fly. Like, all right, we're going to halt all air traffic for the next 80 minutes so we can see some clouds. But yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting science. I, I don't know. I, I would love to see it because I don't, you, you know, you hear about all the stories from like in the 1800s, like people boiling these witches' brews ahead of storms and stuff. And yeah, but, I don't know. I'd have to research. Is it tomfoolery? Yeah. Or is it a science. Well, I mean, when they did it out here, they said, they said that it did reduce uh, hail events and stuff, but you know, you know, you could argue that it created too. So I don't know. I absolutely don't know. Yeah, uh, come back next week, and we will be experts in fuzzy. <laughs> yeah, we've got some research to do. Yeah. So, um, well, with that, Kevin, do we need to put a bow on this one? And yes, sir. Oh, we're good. So. Um, yeah. You guys can reach us at media at CropQuest.com, CropQuest Inc. on Twitter. And as always, um, please reach out to us at that media at CropQuest email uh, for any uh, questions or things you would like to hear on the podcast. Yes. And for all your cloud seeding questions, <laughs> refer to Colt since he's not here to dox him and give out his, pers his personal phone number, uh, address, mailing address. 2233. So, all right, with that, I am Ethan. With me, as always, is Kevin, and we will see y'all next time. Peace out. Our business is knowing the business of growing. We take pride in your success, being better than the rest. Crop West.